Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning. Good to see all of you. What beautiful weather. How many of you have your uh, Thanksgiving plans been altered? Yeah, I think we're just going to get a turkey roll and carve it into a turkey and put it in the toaster. Even that sounds ambitious. Interesting times that we live in. We started a little short series called Elijah. By the way, if you're joining us online, thanks for being here. If you're visiting with us uh, first time or maybe second time, thanks for coming. We're glad to have you. Um, We have followed Elijah for two weeks, and we have this week will be the final, and then we go into what we call our Advent Conspiracy. Those of you who love conspiracies, you'll want to be here. Now, we're, we're going to look at four different messages, one on uh, giving or spending less, giving more, uh, worshiping fully, and loving all. And that'll lead us right up into our Christmas Eve service. So we'd love to have you here or online, and we're going to have opportunities each week to, to give and to share and to make this Advent season very Christmassy and special. We want the church to be thriving and enjoying each other during this time, as opposed to just sort of plodding along in a, in a, in a sense of just tolerating <laughs> our life right now. We want it to be special, so I'm looking forward to it. But today we're talking about Elijah. And Elijah's somebody that is a pretty amazing prophet when it comes to prophets, Okay. Uh, he was somebody that uh, raised a kid from the dead, uh, fed, God fed a family and himself from a jar every day. They had plenty of oil. They had plenty of meal every day, he and this widow. And he was somebody that had prophesied to Ahab, who was the king of the northern kingdom in Israel. You had the southern kingdom, Judah, northern kingdom, 12 tribes, two tribes down in Judah. And they had 20 kings in all before they were taken captive by the Assyrian, Assyrians. None of them were that great. And the king that is dealt with with Elijah is a guy by the name of Ahab, and he was not very great at all. In fact, he married this Phoenician gal who worshipped the Baals, or Baals which were fertility gods, and they, they tend to pray to them, sacrifice to them, give honor to them, because they believed that they helped the crops grow and the rain and so forth. Well, Elijah came along and said, no, you've, you've strayed away from the God who owns this land, who created you, who brought you into this place, and it's not going to rain. Sorry, Ahab, you shouldn't be bringing this in here. So because... God said, I want to be unique in Israel's life. And so that was the covenant that he made with them. Well, so last week we looked at one of the most famous showdowns, and that's what we called it, a showdown between God and the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And so they had it on their high place. They had it on their 
their terms, and it was just this idea that the God that answered by fire would be the real one true God. <clears throat> Everybody agreed. Well, they had 800 prophets, 450 of, of Baal, and 800, uh, 400 Asherah, which was the female goddess that corresponded to Baal. And they had a showdown with Elijah, and he was mocking them and saying, hey, pray louder. Maybe your God will hear you. Maybe he's asleep or in the bathroom, literally. And, but nothing happened. And he said, fill my altar completely. And fire came down. Fill it with water. And completely fire came down and lapped it up. And, they, and at the end of the whole event, it starts raining. It starts raining. So if, if you were Elijah, you would be on some type of spiritual high, wouldn't you? Man, I'm, I'm killing it. This prophecy thing is awesome. I'm doing great. I mean, you know, I'm feeding people, uh, raised a kid from the dead. Did I mention that? And then, of course, God did it. It was just me there. But then, you know, I challenged these prophets of Baal. Well, first I told the king it's not going to rain, so it didn't rain for three years. And... <clears throat> I called to the God of heaven, and he answered, and fire came down. Man, life is great for me as a prophet. I mean, if that had actually happened in your life, you would feel pretty confident about your relationship with God, wouldn't you? I don't know about you, but I mean, I haven't called fire down on anybody in a while, but it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we're most vulnerable when we've gone through something spectacular. After a great victory, we find ourselves being very vulnerable. Fear and anxiety have a way of making it in and sort of destroying, getting into our minds, and we lose that faith, that very productive faith that we had. And Elijah had found himself in this very predicament experiencing great victory, and now running for his life. And that's what we're going to find in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, and we're calling this message Meltdown. Before we get started, if, if you'd like to say this affirmation with me, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, and may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. All right. <clears throat> Meltdown. I don't know about you, but if you're normal, you have experienced what some would call a meltdown. Anybody ever do that? I mean, melting is good if you're cheese. And I know some of you here are kind of cheesy, so maybe melting down is good for you. But when it comes to our emotions and to our physical life and to our relationships and so forth, it becomes very complicated because it's not the best case scenario, is it? Now, here's what happened. Now, Ahab told Jeze Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now 
he had killed all, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life as one of them, as one of them. Now, Elijah wasn't afraid of the God or the deity of the Baals because he didn't believe it was real. He wasn't afraid of all of the prophets of Baal, but he was afraid of one particular person by the name of Jezebel. As I mentioned before, Jezebel is a name sort of like, nobody ever names their, their daughters Jezebel. Maybe, maybe you have, but that probably didn't work out so well. It's sort of like calling your kid little Hitler. It's just she has a very bad reputation. Now, this is what happens. It says that verse Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is a guy who had just previously done all of these amazing things, and when a messenger came and said, you know what, buddy, she's going to get you, and she's going to kill you, immediately he takes off and he runs for his life. And he came up to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there, and he went while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush and sat under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. This is nothing less than a meltdown. This was somebody who had just previously saw great acts of God. But I find it to be more common than not common. That you experience something great, but then all of a sudden your human frailty appears out of nowhere. How did, why did I think this way? Why was I so afraid? And to, to let you know this, he was melting down because he was afraid of her, but there's a sense that he's ashamed that he's afraid of her. Look what it says here. He sat under a broom bush. They're about 12 feet high, not that much shade, but it was good enough. Sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Sounds like the prophet Jonah, doesn't it? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. You see, he had been saying to everybody, well, that I'm different than my ancestors. I'm different from my people who uh, have all gone away and worshipped the Baals. I'm not that way. I've stood alone. I've stood alone by myself, and I'm the only one that's remained. But then he runs off when one person wants to kill him. And in doing so, there's a sense, deep sense of sadness within him that he says, I'm no better than anybody else. You ever think so bad that you felt like you wanted to die? You know what? That's a very biblical feeling. A lot of his prophets, a lot of his people said, my life isn't worth living anymore. And you say that may be a little melodramatic, but I think he meant it. Here's a couple of things to note. Fear immobilizes us, clenches us up. Anxiety robs us of our energy. And worry distorts 
our reality. You see, anxiety robs us of our energy, doesn't it? I find it much easier now during this whole pandemic thing to get angrier and to be thrown off my game quicker. Anybody experience that? Or just, are you so patient that you've, you're just so loving and patient? Oh, the dog, he got in the trash can again. Bless your heart. Every time they do that, I'm thinking, I haven't fired up the barbecue grill in quite a while. <laughs> I could have a couple of hot dogs. Just saying. Good thing they don't understand English. But during this time of COVID-19, there's, there's all of this anxiety, isn't there? Anxiety, when it started now, we're in a big spike and we've got all of these restrictions and it, there's more anxiety and it's, it, it creates fear in us. You see, do you want to go to the grocery store? Should I go to the grocery store? It can steal our peace. And then anxiety is this constant gnawing at you within your whole system that's just there. It's an added, it's an addition. Fear, on the other hand, can cause you to panic. It immobilizes us and causes us to shut down. It immobilizes us and keeps us from normal activities. It keeps us from trusting into God, in God, doesn't it? Fear and panic. Oh, my goodness. There's a great book out by Hans Riesling, Rosling called Factualness. It's written a couple years ago. And he basically tries to go through and say that fear is a much higher motivator, but it doesn't have to be based on facts at all. In fact, if we spent more of our time looking at the facts, we would have much less fear. But that's not the case. I mean, think about it. When the pandemic first hit, what happened? What's the most important thing you need in a pandemic? Toilet paper. Great fear shed upon the whole society. People were crawling and looking, shaking. Oh, what will happen to us? And finally, miraculously, it appeared back oh, on the shelves. Oh, thank you, God, for the toilet paper. What did the world do before? I don't know, but I didn't want to live in it. And then... We get a spike, we hear a shutdown's coming, what happens again? Oh, toilet paper, we're going to be separated from it. It just happened again. There's no logic to any of that. There's none, no logic. But that's what fear does to us. It causes us to panic, doesn't it? it causes us to panic. And, and I, I'm making fun of it because <clears throat> uh, I got a lot in my house, anyway. You can't have any. <laughs> okay, then there's worry. Worry distorts our reality, and we lose our perspective quickly, don't we? Worry is something that you actively participate in, okay? It's not just <clears throat> anxiety or fear that grips you. Worry is something that you practice. It's something that we lose our perspective quickly, and we can become, it becomes a pattern for us in our lives. It can affect our health, right? And listen, 
what if, the what ifs in this virus can cause us to worry a great bit, can it? Let's just be honest for a minute. There for a while, people were divided into various camps. It's hoax. People who work in the medical community are like, uh, I wish it was. And so you read different articles. In fact, it's not difficult for these days for us to be in a conversation with someone and the first thing that comes out of the, our mouth or their mouth is, well, I read an article the other day, right? Well, I read an article the other day. I read an article the other day. I had a friend who had it and was in the hospital for three months. I had a friend who only had a few symptoms. And there is the ability to worry and worry and worry because we don't know. Because it's shrouded in mystery. We don't fully understand everything and it yet. And it can immobilize us and distort our view of reality. But should something like this, like Jezebel wanting to kill you, the coronavirus spreading and possibly could kill you, should this cause us to abandon our faith? No, it shouldn't. And can we really trust God in this moment? Can we really trust God at this time? Can he be trusted? Or is he just doing this to us? Listen, one thing I know for sure, when you start to melt down because of a shutdown, God is going to take care of your needs because that's who he is. That's what he did with Elijah. Look at verse 5. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I dream of that sometimes. Like an angel touching you up. Hey, Dave, you want something to eat? You're an angel. I know. It, you must have great food. I mean, what does angel food taste like? I would be excited for that meal. But he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over some hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank it and then lay back down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and he drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights until he reached Horeb in the Mount of God. Now here's, here's what's exciting about this, is that He was essentially running away from God's calling because of fear. He didn't plan it and was exhausted and was completely in need of food and rest and water. So what does God do? Does God come to him and, and say, shame on you? What are you doing? Why are you out here? No. He's <laughs> like, I, you need food. You're running away. If you're going to run away, I'll take care of you. Because you're my guy. Even if I have to send an angel of the Lord there, even I have to make you eat. Because you're not going to just stop here. You're heading to, uh, to uh, Horeb. You're heading to the mountain of God, which is 
uh, you've probably heard of it before, the Sinai mountain range. Maybe you've heard of it. It's where supposedly Moses went to in Mount Sinai and met with the Lord and got the Ten Commandments and all of that cool stuff that happened out there. He was headed out to the same place and he needed provisions and God was going to take care of him even though he was running away. I think about that a lot. I think about that because we tend to estimate our abilities much higher than we do our weaknesses, don't you think? We kind of live off the good memories of the things that we've conquered, the things that we've done well, but what about here the weakness? God could take somebody so frail who could get freaked out and get bummed out, as we're going to find out, who would be totally discouraged and full of fear and do great things with them and not hate them when they don't do great things. Because God knows about Elijah and God knows about you and God knows about me that the great things that he would have us do only come from him. You see, he's very aware of our weaknesses. He's very aware of our frailties and yet will provide for our needs and even help us get back to where we need to be without being abusive or mean. God also cares for your emotions. Look at verse 9. He's out in the Sinai area and he went into a cave to spend the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Verse 10, he replied, he replied this a couple of times, three times to the Lord. But he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they put to death the prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. They're trying to kill me. So God said, here's what I want you to do. Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Sounds pretty familiar to what happened with Moses up in the Sinai wilderness, right? Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the winds, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, well, we'll stop there. So there was the earthquake, wind, and fire. That was a, that came. Never mind. You guys don't listen to music. Remember the popular band, Earth, Wind, and Fire? I mean, get up to speed. Focus. It doesn't make these jokes any shorter if I have to explain them. (laughs) But Elijah was this powerful prophet. He was, uh, God's going to answer by fire. God's going to answer by rain. God controls the earth. And so you would think, I don't know what his prophetic process was. I can only, we can only guess. 
But God would send him messages and visions or natural events that he would interpret and he would hear God's voice. And he sent a big, powerful wind, not there. He sent an earthquake, not there. Fire, which he had seen come from heaven, maybe lightning, it's not there. But what happened? What happened? After the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I have a painting in my office of this event. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? God will follow us into stupid places that we go. He was in a cave out in the middle of nowhere because of fear and failure, a certain failure and, and despondency, maybe depression, because he wasn't the person that he thought he should be. He wasn't the, the prophet that he thought he was. And he thought, well, it'd be better if I just died. And God said, you're not going to die. I'm going to feed you, even if I have to send you an angel. But what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Fear, panic, worry, all of that can drive us to a place where we thought we would never be. I can tell you right now that we have so many hurting folks that we know of are in and around our fellowship family members, other people that we know. The emotional damage that's being done right now because of the fear and struggle and the uncertainty and the high anxiety is really, really, really hurting people. And I think it's a time for us to take a page from God's book and speak with a gentle whisper. There was an old saying my pastor used to tell me. He said, always walk softly around a wounded heart. Walk softly around a wounded heart. You know that some of the most comforting things we received in our life were words of encouragement that came through gentleness and kindness. One of my favorite authors, Lawrence Richards, has a few thoughts on this, and I thought they were worth sharing because he placed them in such succinct order, especially in relationship to Elijah. He said, if you're going through this kind of malaise this time, he said, don't blame yourself, number one. God didn't blame and wasn't even willing to provide, I mean, God didn't blame and was even willing to nourish his prophet so that he could run away. Secondly, express your feelings to God. Elijah needed to talk and Elijah needed to, to, to let, get it off of his chest. It related to the fear that triggered his bout of de depression. Feelings uh, freely enough to speak to the Lord, he did. Or maybe you can find somebody else who's willing to listen as well. 
But as we're reminded, he said, thirdly, God speaks to wounded people and hurting people in gentle whispers. Don't imagine that if you're going through this, that God, okay, is angry with you or disgusted with you. Give yourself a reality check. Test your perceptions. As we mentioned, fear and worry can skew how we view the world. It's like a fog that comes in that makes it difficult and dangerous to drive. Rather than let your feelings dictate, you need to look at the facts because sometimes our emotion seeks to distort the facts and that doesn't help. And then share it with a friend. Share it with a friend, somebody who can hold up your arms, somebody that can bear you up. This is so important during this time. And finally, return to work activity because inactivity feeds on depression and it, it, it seems to lose its sense of power when we return to work because this is actually what God was calling him to do. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I went for a trip, thought I'd take a trip, go to the mountains, stay in a cave. What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's go a little further. He says, this is no time for hiding. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, to succeed you as prophet. And then he goes on to say that there will be a coalition of Jehu. There will be a coalition of Haziel and Elisha. And they're going to throw down and get rid of all of this Baal garbage. So there's more work to do. You started a good work, but what are you doing here? Well, I'm sheltering in place, Lord. Well, he says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel who haven't kissed the Baal on the mouth. Here's the point. It's easy to feel isolated and alone. It's easy to live in your own little cosmos, your own little sphere. But my friends, there's many out there, and many of them need hope. Many are having feelings of doubt. There's a lot of folks that don't have family in their home and they're all alone. I'm telling you, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to stay safe in my cave, okay, but it doesn't mean that you stay disconnected because we don't live in those times. You may be staying safely uh, within your home or business, but it doesn't mean that you disconnect or check out, what are you doing here? You know, as a staff, we are, we, we, we're trying to figure this thing out. And we find that we make just as many mistakes as things that we do right. 
You know, I, I was talking to a pastor buddy of mine the other day, and I said, listen, one thing for sure is you know that most every decision you make is not going to be that great. Right? And so we're trying to, to learn to, to meet with people online and try to, to, to build our online experience where people feel like they're more connected to their fellowship, even though they're at home or at a friend's house or watching by phone. But there's the issue of discipleship. Usually discipleship is just taking someone along with you and teaching them and training them and helping them and helping identify their gifts. How do we do that online? And then losing our connectivity. One of the great things about coming to church used to be is you get to come in and you crawl, crowd in the, the big foyer out there and everybody's <laughs> laughing too much, making too much noise drinking coffee and having fellowship and hugging way too much. That, that's one of the cool things about it is that connection and seeing everybody with, a, with our eyes. But all that's changed. Does that mean that we shouldn't be connected anymore? No, we just got to figure out how to do this. We just got to figure out how to do this. Listen, what we have now is pretty amazing. We have, you know... A lot of t telecommunications, you know, you have the telephone, you have the telefriend, a really fast moving one is telegossip. That really is like a super spreader. Thank you for laughing. <clears throat> we have text, we have email, we have FaceTime, we have video chat, there's Zoom or other platforms and, or even imagine this. What if you wrote a card to somebody, a handwritten card from the ancient days? I got one. Of, I get this quite often, but I got one a couple of weeks ago. It's from a friend who texts me, calls me, and emails me. Yes, I think they're stalking me, but that's another story. But it was so nice to get a handwritten card. I thought, how sweet, how, how amazing. Write a letter of encouragement. Call up a restaurant and have a meal dropped off to your friends just because you love them. But listen to God daily. Listen for that still, small voice. Lord, when's the next catastrophe going to happen? We'll turn to you. No, listen. Listen in your cave. And what are you doing in there? Because if you're just waiting for the church staff to figure it all out, we're, gonna, we're way behind. It's bigger than us. It's, it's everybody who names the name of Jesus. We got to care for each other. Not a lot of things that we can do, you know. I mean, as more people get creative and figure out ways to do so. But, but caring for the physical needs and for the emotional needs of someone in distress seems to be God's pattern, right? Elijah, his boy, freaked out, scared, running away, didn't pack a lunch. God takes care of him. Goes, hides in a cave. God takes care of him. And God says, don't, don't live your life here because you have something to do. My friend, <clears throat> if you're feeling like you don't know what to do, do that.
That's, do that. Do that. Well, I won't read the rest, but finally, final note in this chapter is that Elijah, by God's grace, has been calling or has the commission of God to go and anoint another, a younger man, Elisha, to become his successor. And in doing so, he is preserving the future of Israel and his word of his prophets to his people. Because a young man who is going to be a prophet of God, who is trained under Elijah, will get trained pretty well. They may not eat so well or that often, but he's going to get trained well. That preserves the future. That preserves the ongoing work of God in the world. But what about the blessing to our friend Elijah? Notice a little phrase he kept saying, I'm the only one. All of them are gone. There's no one here but me to stand up. And God says, that's not true. I've got another one. I've got others. I've got 7,000. And I've got somebody to live with you and to be with you and to serve with you. Because you seem to get, lose your perspective when you're by yourself, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you need a friend around to go, yeah, I think you probably need to eat a little bit. You seem like your blood sugar is pretty low. Better in twos, threes and fours. If you're alone, I pray that God would send you somebody and I pray that you would pray that. And if, if you're older and you want to invest and invest in the next generation of people. If you don't think they're precious, they're missing out and you're missing out. And so is the kingdom. We're going to get ready to take communion here. And I wanted this to be an encouragement to you <clears throat> that in the midst of something scary, we can do something. We can actually do a lot. The temptation is to check out, but God says, check in and do it with me. Pastor Steve's going to come and lead us in communion. But before he does, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the example <clears throat> and the story of, of Elijah and your work and your commitment to your people. And Lord, we thank you that we get to see the weaknesses as well as the strength of your servant. And I pray, Lord, that like the way you cared for Elijah, that we would learn to care for each other. What we've been going through, Lord, is not anything that we could ever have expected. And forgive us if we whine too much. Sometimes it's the only thing we know how to do. Lord, forgive us of the things that we have left undone, the things that we should have done, but we didn't. We have disobeyed you. And Lord, those things that you told us to go do, and yet we went completely in the different direction. 
If there's anybody watching or listening to this here this morning that says, you know, I've never surrendered my heart to Jesus, you can do that right now. Why don't you just bow your head, your heart, and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins from running away from you. Oh, Lord, wash me and cleanse me. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit and to walk with you. Listen, put your trust in Jesus, and he will not disappoint you. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.